Financial Peace University, probably now, I would imagine it was about eight years ago. And it was transformative for us, like it is for most folks. And I'll never forget, in that first uh, Financial Peace University class, I think together, together we all played, paid off more than $90,000 in debt together. Um, financial peace is about traction in your family, not just in your world, and not just in your monetary world. It's about traction and doing thing God, things God's way. Uh, Dave Ramsey is an anointed uh, teacher, and uh, you will be blessed if you do financial peace. And by the way, I would even tell you, if you've done financial peace before and you need a little, you know, a, a little refresher course, I've done that too. Uh, it's very helpful to come back through and hear the message all over again. As a matter of fact, you might get more the second time through than you did the first time through. So uh, I'm very excited that we've got financial peace. I would add one more thing. The folks who are leading financial peace at our church, we're very proud of who they are, what they've paid off, how they're, tr- how they're living God's way, and, and, and they would, would pay a lot of where they are today by their journey with Financial Peace University. So uh, sign up if that can be a great help to you. Well, today I want to talk to you. Hopefully you, you got your Bible open, you got your iPad or your iPhone. We're going to read some scripture together. Um, I want to talk to you about the most important thing in your world. And so here's my question right out of the gate. What is the most important thing in your world? What would you say, think about this, is your most treasured possession? You know, I know some of you in this room, and, and immediately my first thought would come that some of you would think about maybe your Harley, you know. I saw Brian sitting up here in the front. Front, I know Brian's had phenomenal guitars before that he loved, that he treasured before, you know. Um, what would be the thing that, that you loved or treasured the most in your world? And here's how you know what you love and treasure the most. If something ever happens to it, if it get, gets dinged up or if it gets destroyed, you go ballistic. You know what I'm talking about? What is the thing that you value most, is the most treasured thing in your world that, that is the most important thing to you? I had a neat moment this week as a dad, and I want to share it with you. Um, now, I told you back in December, my oldest child, my daughter, got engaged. Um, Abby got engaged uh, to a young man named Jesse, and so she's been home for college. Now, she's left now to go back to school, but this past week, I got home from, uh, from, from doing my ministry during the day, and I was, I was doing some stuff in the kitchen before I even walked through the great room, and I looked into the great room, and I saw my wife sitting on the couch, uh, which is not, doesn't happen very often, so I kind of looked for a minute. And my wife was not watching TV. She was not reading a book. She was not playing with her Kindle or something. My wife was looking at my daughter, who is the opposite way of the TV. She's looking at my daughter. And I know my daughter is sitting in a place that I can't even see her over the, over the countertop because that's her spot. Abby's spot is sitting in our big red chair and a half. She's got her little fuzzy socks on. She's got her little warm blanket. She's, she's, uh, she's sitting in this little chair like a lot of girls do. She's got her feet up, you know. She's got her hands like this right here just like this. And so I heard Julie say something. Julie said, hey, Abby, you really rocking that ring, ain't you? Abby's sitting there like this, that big old diamond sitting right on top. She's sitting there like this. And Abby looked over at her and smiled. And she said, I like it. Now, by this point, I've got to go through the room because I've got to see what's going to happen here. And I start walking through the room, and I hear, I hear Julie say to Abby, she said, well, for somebody who's a minimalist all your life when it comes to jewelry, you sure are loving that thing. You're all getting it up in your face, smelling it and everything else. And Abby looked at her, and she said, Mom, 
it's me. It's really, I just love it, you know. And I thought about that diamond uh, that I really know that Abby loves so much. That's a treasure for Abby right now in her world, right? It is a treasure that she's going to take very good care of, right? It's very, very important to her. You know, guys, there are a lot of things that are going to come into your life that they're going to be in your possession for you to grasp, to hold on to, for you to manage and stewardship that are important for you to take care of. But here's what I want to talk to you about today. There is nothing more important and nothing more treasured that you will ever own and that you will ever possess than your soul. And so today I want to talk to you about your soul. I want to ask you basically a big question, and that is simply this. Are you taking care of your soul? Because sometimes we end up taking care of other stuff more than we take care of our own soul. Just a couple of opening scriptures today that talk about how we are supposed to take care of our soul or keep watch over our soul. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses spoke these words over the people. Moses said, only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently. I want you to listen to those words. Moses was saying, take care of your soul. Take charge. Take care of your soul. Keep your soul diligently where you're watching over it. Or maybe you remember the writer of Hebrews in chapter 13, 17, where he said, obey your leaders and submit to them. He was talking about the church leaders, the people who are over you spiritually. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls and will give an account. By the way, if you're a leader in our church, that's a great scripture for you to hold on to. Because it gives you a picture of the great responsibility of anybody who is a leader in the church. It lets us understand what God's view of a leader in the church is, that we would literally be the overseer keeping watch and helping take care of people's souls. Not just that, but in such a way that one day we will give an account. And now, probably the most classic phrase that's ever been uttered about a soul came from Jesus, the master teacher. Jesus said it in several Gospels, but in the, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, what good is it to gain the whole world, yet forfeit your soul? I want you to think about that word for a minute. It means give up. It means, it means uh, you know, throw away. What, what, is it, what worth is it to gain everything, but then give away the most important thing, the most treasured thing of all, to forfeit your soul? And then he says, or what can anyone give? in exchange for their soul. You can't give money, you can't give time, you can't give anything in exchange for your soul. See, your soul is the most important treasure and possession that you will ever have. Now today, what I'm going to be sharing with you, I I owe in a large part to Dallas Willard, who is a great teaching theologian, um, a great uh, thinker, and he has helped us understand a, a lot about Uh, the disciplines of of spirituality. But today, I want to talk to you a little bit about how he tries to explain and tries to uh, help others put their arms around this thing that is so important, the soul, and how we're supposed to be managing, stewarding, taking care of our souls. Dallas wrote these words in The Renovation of the Heart. He said, the soul is that aspect of your whole being that integrates, that's a key word, that integrates, that synchronizes. Your, your soul is that aspect of your whole being that integrates and enlivens everything going on in the various dimensions of the self. It is the life center of a human being. 
So I, I want to talk to you a little bit about your soul. And the way I'm going to do that is with those little circles that I put on your page there. I'm going to get you just to write a few words around those circles that will kind of help you kind of, kind of explain the soul. And then if it's okay, I'm going to go fast, okay? Because I want to, I want to then talk about how you take care of your soul. So the first thing I would, I would invite you to do is look at that inner circle, that smallest circle on that page. That little smallest circle is a very important circle. And right there in that circle, right on you, we're going to get you to write three things in that circle. But the first thing I want you to write in that circle is the will. Just write the word W-I-L, the will. The will. You know what the will is. The will is that unique part of you that allows you to choose left or right or say yes or no. The will is the part of you that gives you you, right? It is uniquely you. Now, sometimes we would also call this thing, uh, you know, the heart. And so I'll just put a little symbol of a heart there. The heart, or some, some of us might call it, uh, or we might hear it termed in other ways, your spirit. But at the core of you, God has given you a will. And he has given you free will with that, that you can determine what you want, where you go, you can determine a lot of things. You are the leader of you. Okay, now, here's the unique piece of that. This first, first thing I want you to think about when it comes to the will, the heart, and the spirit is think about a baby. A baby has a will. And the baby, think about the two most famous words or most important words to a, to a, to a young little toddler that's growing up. Second most important word, mine. Mine, mine. You remember that word? Yeah, when they figured out they could own something, mine, mine. And then the most important word for them, the number one word for a child, no, no. You want more squash? No. You know, no. When they figure out they can say no, when they can figure that out, all of a sudden it's a game changer for them, right? What are they exercising? They're exercising the thing that is the very core of who they are. They're exercising their heart, their spirit, their will. That's who they are, okay? Now, what's interesting is your will can be largely influenced by selfishness, okay? And that, I just gave an example of that with a baby, right? A little child. Your will can be largely influenced by selfishness, but here's what I want to tell you. God gave you free will, but it was with a purpose, and here's the point, and here's the trajectory, and here's the goal of it all, that you would learn that the best way to live is to actually take that free will and then surrender it back to God. The best way to, to live is with a surrendered will, but if we're really honest, when it comes to this thing we're learning about our soul today, it's very easy for our will to become self-centered again. Very easy. Second circle. Second circle that I would draw right around that one. I'm just going to put the word mind inside of that one. The word mind. It's another dimension of, of this thing we're talking about today. Your mind. And, and you might even want to write a couple of notes around this circle as well. You might, you might even write the word thoughts because your mind is largely about your thoughts. I mean, some of you were raised in homes that didn't get you to think good thoughts, right? And sometimes we've read things and we've studied things. We've gotten around the wrong kind of information and it's led us down bad thought roads, right? So your, your, your thoughts can be led to dark places or can be led to good places, but, but your mind is not just about thoughts. I would also add the word feelings. Your mind can also be about feelings. So you can feel good, you can feel bad, you can feel angry, you can feel sad. Your mind is a lot about what you are feeling as well. Now, here's what I want to tell you about feelings uh, or about the mind, about the mind. Your mind uh, can be led and pushed and 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 taken different places, but what's interesting is all of these circles, they influence one another. 
So what you do with your will, how you say yes, where you say no, whether you turn left, whether you turn right, is largely influenced by your mind, all right, by your thoughts, by your feelings, and they are, they're, they're involved. And they were meant from the very beginning to always be synchronized, to be integrated. The next circle that I'll roll on to is the word, just write the word uh, right there, the word body. Your body. Your body. Now, this interesting thing about this, this thing called my body is that God gave each and every one of us a body, okay? Now, what's interesting is we read in the Bible that God gives us dominion over the earth. But, but just back out of that for a minute and, and go back about 20,000 paces and just come back to dominion over you. What's interesting is God gave you a body, and you are kind of like the king of everything that goes in your body, all right? God gave you dominion over everything inside of this, over the will here, over the heart, the spirit, over the mind, over this thing. It is the only real big thing that you have complete dominion over. Now, what's interesting about this body, and I'll just write a couple more words on the other side of this circle, is every one of us, our bodies, we have appetites, right? We, I mean, <laughs> we have literal appetites of things we want to eat, right? But we also have things we want to do. We, there's a lot of different appetites that can be effective within our bodies, okay? And, and those appetites can be for good or they can be for bad. They can lead us to greater health or they can lead us to bad places. And here's another word about those bodies. Every one of our bodies, we have habits. We have habits that we do with our bodies, okay? And those habits can be good or they can be warped. And here's what I want you to understand. Every one of these circles... They, they involve one another. You remember one time Jesus was teaching. I'm, not, I'm sorry, I wasn't teaching. Jesus was asking for prayer. He took the three guys that were his best friends, took them to the Garden of Gethsemane. He was about to give his life away. He said, stay up with me and pray. And you remember, they couldn't stay up, right? They kept falling asleep. He'd come back, they were falling asleep. You remember what he said? He said, your spirit is willing, but your flesh, your body is weak. You see how you, you listen, here's a little piece of truth. Your will, your, your spirit can be all willing to do something, but if your body won't cooperate and sync up with it, you won't get there, right? Whether that's sleep or whether that's going on a diet or whatever that is. Uh, you, you, if you're not synced up with all one of the, every one of those places, they mesh together. Does that make sense? And, and here's what I want you to know. We live in a world, guys, that is constantly trying to wage war with this, this, this piece of who we are. The word that Dallas Willard used was integrated, that these things are all a part of one another and they impact one another. They are integrated, they enliven us. But here's what I want you to understand. The book of Second Peter, I don't have it in your outline today, Second Peter reminds us that we live in a world that is waging war to make sure that my body is not the way God made it. My mind is not the way God made for my mind to operate, and my will is being very selfish. Listen to what Peter wrote in Second Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. He says that we live in a sinful world as strangers who were meant to have souls that were up and above this world, that were, that were, that were being uh, redeemed, saved, and brought out of slavery by the king of the universe. 
But we live in a world that constantly wages war against our souls. And so here's what happens. We have, we have sin in our world, and sin is a soul killer, okay? Sin is a soul killer. It strangles us. It enslaves us. And so what happens is when, when there is, there's darkness, there's sin around us that's waging war against us, it can begin to come at our soul. And we can have ex- all the things that make up your soul can be starting to bent all the ways that God never meant them to be bent. Your will can become very selfish, not surrendered at all. Your mind can go into dark places and lead you into places you shouldn't go. Your body can be doing things that you, knew, you know don't glorify God. And when all of that is happening, your soul is under attack. And by the way, it can be at any one of those. It can be at any one of those areas, and your soul can be under attack. Over and over again, there's lots of different scriptures that point to how this is supposed to be integrated God's way. God's way. But here, listen carefully. Here's what happens. When sin comes into our lives and it tries to disintegrate us, all right, it tries to get us uh, it, not in synchronicity, my mind and my will and my body. When it disintegrates us, what happens is that we, we become... We, we become, we, we, we move away from God's pattern of what he really wants for us. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I don't have time to turn, it, turn to there in Scripture, and it's not in your outline today. But you remember that Scripture, class of Scripture by Paul, Romans, Romans 12, 1 and 2, where Paul said, I beg of you, I urge you, I, I beseech you, I plead with you. That's the will, by the way, right? He's asking us to make a decision. I urge you, I beg you. He's appealing to our will. I beg you to... Offer your bodies. What's he talking about there? He's talking about part of our soul. Offer your bodies to God as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And don't be, trans- don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to prove what is the good, perfect, and acceptable will of God. See, what Paul was saying was this thing is part of your soul and it's part of what God wants to really uh, have you surrendered over to him? He doesn't want. He doesn't want your soul in slavery and in sin. I'm going to add one more circle there, real quickly. Let's add it to the outside. Dallas Willard has been very helpful to help us understand this. And there is a social dimension. There is a social dimension to you. So interestingly enough, whoever you are, you are someone who has an identity. You are a son. You are a daughter. You are a father. You, you are an employer. You are a mother. You are a grandmother. Whoever you are, you are involved with other people. And you play roles. I guess the, the, my, the words that I might write here are the words identity and the words roles. And, and those things are involved in who you are. So if all of a sudden you make a new friend over here, and that friend is not a, not a godly friend, and that friend's going to lead you into places either with your body or with your mind or with your will, the places they're not going to go, then, then, then it's going to introduce sin into the equation. It's going to introduce war into the equation. It's going to disintegrate who you are. And the goal of every one of us, here's the kind of picture. All of this, Dallas Willard is helping us understand, all of this kind of makes up who you are. It's, it's the soul of who you are. Now, what I want you to grasp is here, there's a lot of people who, when we talk about the soul, it's real vague to them, right? I mean, the soul is, uh, uh, some, some people have called them uh, Looney Tunes in their, in their thinking about the soul. Do you remember Looney Tunes, right? You remember Bugs Bunny? And the anvil would fall on top of Daffy Duck's head, right? And Daffy Duck would be dead. And what would happen? The little spirit would go up, right? Remember the spirit go up into heaven or whatever? You remember that? I'm, I'm not alone, right? You remember this, right? 
Well, subscribing to, Daf, to, to Looney Tunes theology is saying, well, we, we, I can't really understand the soul. The soul is this nebulous thing out there. Listen, what I want to tell you is the soul is not some nebulous, vague thing out there. And the soul is, is the core of who you are. It is vast. It is big. It is important. Your soul makes up the very heart of, of who you are. It, is, it, is, it, it was meant to be integrated and moving towards a heavenly Father that gave you life. It is meant, every one of these areas, meant to be connected and everyone subservient towards God's will, moving towards God. So my question for you, real quickly, about all of this stuff that is you, is how is it with your soul? And are you taking care of your soul? And have you realized that according to the Bible, your soul is under attack? How are you taking care of your soul? If you were hanging out in my house right now, we have a young driver, Alex. And um, boy, if there's, some, if there's some arguments going on in my house right now, it's all about Alex and his driving. Mom and Dad, I just want to go. Can I go off by myself? You know, I'm just going to, I'm just, and he's had his license, I don't know, not very long. And, and, and the answer to the question most of the time is no, we're going with you. You're a young driver. You still make mistakes left and right. You know, we're going with you. I want to go by myself. You know, okay, yeah, yeah. But you know what? We have been, you've been entrusted to us as stewards, and we're going to go with you. And, and many of you know what I'm talking about here. We just, here, why? Why don't we just let Alex just go on there? Well, two reasons. Number one, we love you, and we don't want him to kill you, okay? <laughs> one, right? But number two, we love him. We love Alex enough to say, well, we're just not going to let you just go out there. I'm hands off. I don't care about you. You know, I'm not going to take care of you. I'm just going to let you go. Guys, I think a lot of Christ followers deal with their soul this way. It's just like, mm, that's just something out there. And they don't really address, have I taken care? Am I taking care? Am I looking after my soul? Because I'm telling you, what I'm talking about here today is huge. And it's serious. Because we have an, the Bible says, we have an enemy of our soul. And he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. It's very serious. And, and we, listen, God gave us Jesus Christ on the cross of, of, of Calvary and out of the tomb of, for resurrection. He gave us the gift of what Jesus offered on that cross so that we could be freed from a bentness to all this. John Wesley said these things can be bent because of sin. They can all be bent inward. And, and Jesus came to save us from the toxicity that our world pours into our soul. He came to save us from the slavery that the world comes and tries to attach itself and all of its ill will and its selfishness to our soul. And I call it the slide. I call it the drift. I'll never forget one, one I love the beach. I'll never forget getting out on a raft one day, like a little inner tube thing, and I was, I was sunning out there, and I fell asleep. And when I woke up, I had drifted out so far, I looked and I thought to myself, I was scared. I was scared. I was so far away from the shoreline. And, and, and I call it the drift. I think sometimes we cannot take, we can, we, can, we can go a season without paying true attention to our soul. We can drift ourselves right into a, a mess and our soul just be all torn up and all messed up. How does that happen, Stephen? Well, here's what you need to know. Just like the drift took me out to sea, wave after wave after wave, little bitty wave, little bitty current, little bit, little bit, little bit at the time, that's how it happens in your my life. It happens a little bit, a little bit, a little bit at the time, 
a little bit, a little bit, a little bit at a time. You might say, well, Stephen, come on, what are you talking about here? Well, let's just talk about your mind for a minute. Maybe in your mind, you're a very ethical person. I mean, you go to church, you do the right things, you don't, you don't steal, you don't tell untruths, you're not a liar. In your mind, you're a person of high integrity and high character. But what happens, something is done here or there, you know, and you take something from the office here, a little thing, nobody, that's it, the office has got 20,000 of them, I'm just going to take one from the office here. You know, and you do a little moment here and a little moment there, and you do a little moment here and a little moment there, and you allow yourself, even though in your mind you're a person of high integrity and high character, you allow yourself to tell a little lie here, to do a little something there, and you find yourself moving further and further away. Now, in your mind, that's still who you are, but in your character and in your will and in your mind and even with your body, you're moving further and further away from the very person Jesus, he freed you to be. He freed you from all that entanglement of all that lies and slavery and theft and all that trash. And you know what happens? Watch and listen carefully to what I'm about to say. What happens is if this happens in your world and you drift and you drift and you drift and you drift, you're going to wake up, okay? Just like I did on the float when I was floating out to sea. You're going to wake up and you're going to look back and you're going to go, it's, it's going to be a place where you can't ignore it. You cannot deny it. You are a person that is not the same person that you were one time in your life. You are, you, things have be, become bent in you, and, and you are far away from you are from where you were. And, and studies have proven, a book was even written, written that I'm, I'm reading right now, that in that moment of a waking up, way over here, the floats drifted way over here, and you wake up and you go, oh my goodness, look, and you didn't even realize your soul was, was drifting. You didn't even realize your soul was under attack. The, the normal response of a person is not repentance. The normal response of a person is not, oh my gosh, i got to get back to shore. I'm going to swim as hard as I... That is not the normal response. Studies have proven that exactly the opposite is the normal response. When you wake up and you've drifted so far down the line, when you wake up, you look back and you go, well, look how far I've gone. Oh my goodness. I guess it doesn't matter. I guess I'll just keep going. I mean, this is, this is classic diet stuff. You ever been there before? I'm dieting, I'm dieting, I'm dieting, and then I blow it, right? And then I blow it, and I blow it. And then I look, and, I look back and I go, well, I might as well just go ahead and eat the whole enchilada, right? I'm just going to blow it all the way, and that's where you go. I'm, I'm telling the truth, right? Right? So what I'm trying to tell you is when your soul is under attack and your soul is under war, the classic response when you wake up and you realize you've drifted so far is not repentance. It's, well, I'm just going to go on with it. I'll just go, go on the whole deal now. And guys... What, what I'm here, what you came to church today to be able to be asked the question, how is it with your soul? Look around, wake up, take a little diagnosis of your will. Is it bent towards yourself? Of your mind? Are you thinking things that are just not right? You know they're not God's thoughts. Your body. Are you honoring God with your body? Are you doing things that you know would not please God? Your relationships, your family, your your friendships. Are you doing the things that were meant to be done in your soul and for your soul? Here's what I want you to know. Just a couple of final thoughts. We live in a world of lost souls. We live in a world of enslaved souls. And there's only one answer 
to the salvation of the soul? There's only one answer. I put it in your, your scripture right beneath that circles. One way of saying it would be Psalm chapter 23. You remember that one? The Lord, the Lord is my shepherd. What does a shepherd do? A shepherd guards and protects and guides and leads and will lay his life down for his sheep. But a sheep is to follow the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. You see that kind of will that's there? That kind of mindset? He makes me lie down. Even with my body, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. And he restores my soul. He is the one who brings restoration back to me. People would ask John Wesley, the, the, great, the great leader of the Methodist church, they would ask Wesley about his salvation experience. And Wesley routinely would say, people ask me all the time about what happened in Aldersgate, but I am here to tell you I am being saved every day by God. Every day. See, this is the shepherdship of Jesus Christ that he offers to us, that the Lord would be your shepherd and he would restore you when you've drifted far away. In your mind, in your body, in your will, with your relationships, with that social dimension of who you are. Look at that next scripture. Jesus one time stood in front. He got on a high hill. He wanted everybody to hear him. He was alone. He didn't have anybody else with him. He stood up on a high hill over all these people, and he shouted these words. He didn't speak them. He shouted them over them, and he said these words, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What Jesus was saying was, listen, come to me. There it is. That's the only answer I know for the salvation of the soul. Come to Jesus and surrender. Surrender will. Surrender your mind. Surrender your body. Surrender your relationships. Surrender your soul. All that is your soul. All of that stuff, is, and he, listen, he will take that which has been disintegrated and bent and warped and shaped, and he can put it back together. He can integrate who you are. He can bring it. He can restore it. He can give rest to your soul. This morning, I'm going to invite, I'm just going to open the altar, and I don't have a lot of time here, but I'm just going to open the altar, and I'm going to invite you to come and pray. And we're starting 2016 together. And let me tell you, every, every new year, I do two things every year. I sit down and I think about where I am in my ministry leadership for the church. And I sit down and think about where I am in my personal leadership of my life and my family. That's why I'm preaching about what I'm preaching about today. Let me tell you, God's calling Stephen Usry to think about how he's taking care of his own soul. And I'm inviting you today to think about how you are taking care of your own soul. Is your will surrendered? And this morning, when I invite you to come, you might come and just bow a knee because there's, there's a relationship. You know, it's not about your will for you or your mind or your body. There's a relationship that you know that you shouldn't be in. And you need to come and surrender that thing and say, I'm no longer God. Or it might be something with your body. It might be a habit or appetite. It might be something with your mind, a thought or a feeling. I don't know. But I'm going to invite you to come, just like Jesus said when he stood out over the hill. He said, come to me. Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy labored, and I will give rest to your soul. Final thought here. My wife loves a TV show. It's her favorite TV show at all. And she probably thinks right now I'm going to say Downton Abbey, but I'm not. Her favorite TV show of all is Dancing with the Stars, okay? And I got to tell you, I'm a little hooked on it myself. 
only because Bendy won. But anyway, um, um, Dancing with the Stars is, is, is probably her absolute favorite TV show. And now here's what I've learned about Dancing with the Stars, and I am no dancer, all right? I'm like a solo dancer. I can really, I can really groove by myself, and you'll think it's the weirdest thing, and you'll, hope, hopefully you'll never go to a wedding. By what, come to Abby's wedding. You'll see your pastor dance, and you'll go, oh, my goodness. Okay, but anyway... But, but see, let me tell you, I am no dancer with somebody else because I've just, it's not easy, okay, and I've always got to do it like slow. And, but one of the things I've learned about these guys who do these incredible dances is there's always got to be a leader and there's got to be a follower. And, and you know that. They give these pros to celebrities and there's a leader and then there's a follower, right? No matter whether it's male or female, there's a leader and there's a follower. One of my, one of my clergy friends recently, uh, one, his wife wanted to take dance classes, and so he gave her the gift, uh, her birthday, of dance lessons, and they went to the studio to go learn how to dance together, all right? And so he said, listen, there's nobody on the planet that is worse dan- in dancing than me. I am terrible. But they were clunking around on the dance floor and clunking around, clunking around the dance floor, and they were just like, kind of, it, was, it was bad. He said, I knew it was bad, but it was all I knew how to do. I was trying to do what the teacher taught us to do. And the, and the teacher came over, and he stopped him, and he didn't look at my pastor friend, my clergy friend. He looked at his wife. And he said to her, he said to her, who's leading? And my, my pastor friend said, there was this look that came across her face, because she was a much better dancer than he was. There was a look that came across her face that was, I don't want to answer this question. And the teacher said, no, no, who's leading? Tell me. And with gritted teeth, she said, he is. And then the teacher looked at her, and he asked her another question. He said, who's following? And with gritted teeth, she said, I am. My friend over a cup of coffee told me, he said, I didn't say a word. He said, but I was loving it. (laughs) You know this rhythm of this life that we have, guys? God gave you a will. He gave you a mind. He gave you a body. And he gave you people all around you. But he made you to learn of his leadership. And here's what happens. We get all that messed up when we start leading ourselves instead of learning what it's really like to follow him, to follow his lead, to follow his lead in our will, to follow his lead in our mind, to follow his, will, his, his lead in our, in, our, in our body, to follow his lead in our relationships. And this morning, it's just, it's just as simple as that. If there's a place in your life where you've not been following the leadership of God, where you've been doing it your own and you've been trying to lead, today is a wonderful day as we start 2016 to come and bow up in the knee and to say, I'm surrendering again for the umpteenth time. Here I am. I am surrendering my will. I'm surrendering my mind. Call it out by name. If there's a certain addiction that you've got going on or a certain bent or habit or an appetite, call it out by name with him, just you and him, and say, God, I'm surrendering it today. Free me from it. Remove the toxin. Remove the chains. Free me. Redeem me and save me. I'm going to invite you to pray. This is your time. Let God meet you here. Come and pray at his altar.
Let's pray together.